The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911. You have landed on the Dave Congleton Show, always your hometown radio talk show. It is Wednesday, January 18th, 2023. In about an hour, you're going to be in for a real treat. Singer-storyteller Wally Barnick will tell stories and sing some songs. Just a really great guy who's had an amazing career. A nice way to end the day. This hour, always good to be in conversation with Dr. James Armstead, who normally comes on to give us the international picture, and we'll pick his brain on some of those issues tonight. But I would be remiss if I didn't use this opportunity, given Dr. Armstead's many years in Washington, D.C., and his work with the federal government, to also pick his brain about this ongoing debate about presidential documents. We've heard from a conservative with Rich. Last night we had Paul in here giving us the more liberal perspective about uh, President Trump and his documents and President Biden and his vice presidential documents. Why am I babbling when Professor Armstead is back with us? Professor, good afternoon. Dave, you never babble. There are always great questions and you run a wonderful show. That's very nice of you to say, but this show is only as good as my guests. And we're always fortunate to have you in conversation. You have a legion of fans on the Central Coast, Professor. And they're wonderful people and I love them all. All right. Uh, so let me start with a basic question. Uh, in general, based upon what we know, do you find the situation involving former President Trump and current President Biden to be comparable? No, they're not. And let me take, since you've had the, the view from the left, the view from the right, let me be the prosecutor. All right. As a prosecutor, if I'm looking at the information that we've got, I have no inside information on this, just what's been in the news I've followed. What we seem to have is, and with with President Trump, we have documents that were taken away that were classified. That violates Section 1984 of the United States Code, uh, 753, in 20, 19, and 1914. So Section 1984, that chapter. And what it says is that you cannot remove government data from authorized locations if it's classified. That's what that says. Now, if you remove something and it's by accident, you make notice of it, you return it, no harm, no foul. That's normally waived. You, if you do this on purpose, you may involve another statute. For example, if you take the information away, you knowingly, that's required in the law, knowingly disclose that information to unauthorized personnel. That violates Section 753 of 1984, and that's punishable by up to a fine and up to 10 years in prison. 
it appears as though with the Trump administration, whether or not they took this away knowingly, I don't know. And I don't think that's clear at this point. We'd have to know the uh, what's going on with the investigation, who actually packed the information uh, and put it in the boxes, took it, uh, who would have unpacked it and put it away in the basement of the Trump, uh, the Trump Hotel and had it stored there. We'd have to know all of those things, right. what was on their mind. They'd have to be questioned. Now, that could be an accident. Could be an accident. It may or may not violate the statute. Here's the problem. When they were asked if they had the these materials, because they were missing, the secret and top secret, especially SCI, uh, special compartmental information, those are all registered items. So we know how many documents there are. We know how many copies. We know who signed for them, what office they're supposed to be in. So from time to time, there's an inventory. You know, we look at them, what's going on. After Mr. Trump left the White House, the National Archives asked about documents that were missing. They wanted to get them back. They were told initially there weren't any. Everything had been turned in. Then some things percolated up. Uh, and eventually, after uh, a, some of these documents were disclosed, lawyers for Mr. Trump con- said they conducted a search. Under oath, they, they turned in a, an affidavit. They conducted a search. There were, no more, uh, there were no more documents. They had looked through everything. It was all cleaned out. Somehow information came to the attention of the Justice Department that there were essentially a large number of additional documents. Uh, requests were then made, again, uh, reliance upon the affidavits and no documents. And these are lawyers who signed these, not just low members of the staff. Uh, a warrant was issued, and at this point we have over 300 documents were found. So there appears to be a conspiracy to either keep the documents or deny having removed them unlawfully. So, so the conspiracy to do that is a crime. So how does that compare to the Biden situation? Well, the Biden situation, from what we know, the two places, at his office, the uh, Pennsylvania State University Biden office in Washington, where the vice president worked after he left office, had certain documents. Now, at this point, we don't know whether or not those documents were, were authorized to be had by him. Consultants to the government, uh, contractors, as well as government officers, uh, all have uh, the possibility of being authorized documents, depending upon what they're they're doing. Right. If you're doing things for research, you can get the document issued. Now, it has to be kept. There are rules about how you keep them. They've got to be in safes. You have to have a register so that people using it sign for the document. A receipt is left in the safe when you remove it. When the document's returned, the receipt's taken out. Document goes back in. It's marked on the register as being there. So let, let's assume all of those things were done correctly. When that office closed down and the documents were packed away, they should have been returned to the National Archives. So someone from Mr. Biden's office should have reported to the National Archives, turned those documents in. Uh, Other documents went to his house. They may, in fact, be authorized at his home. If he's got the appropriate facilities, uh, lots of people over... We have something like four million people with some kind of clearance in the United States. That is a phenomenal number. Now, that may be a very low-level clearance, F-O-U-O, for official use only, but a number of those are secret and top secret and special compartmentalized information. If 
those documents were in his home, and they were not under the appropriate safeguards. And as appears right now, the National Archives did not know they were there, they weren't authorized. Uh, that, in fact, is an unauthorized keeping of the document. Now, the question is that will be uncovered in the investigation. If it, that's a knowing removal and retaining the document, violates the law, you're subject to a fine uh, and or a penalty, as I said, up to 10 years, uh, if it, if it's knowing. If it's an accidental keeping of the document, you turn them in as soon as you find out. Once again, no harm, no foul. Normally, no charges would be filed on something like that. Right. The guest, so that's my prosecutor's yeah. thumbnail sketch. The guest last night, Paul, talked about the issue of intent, that in, that they look at the intent involved yes, in each that's case. that's the knowing. Hmm. So, but the the other part of it is the political ramifications, because obviously the Trump supporters are going, well, what about this guy? Oh, this is terrible. Politically, this is terrible. The uh, the president uh, has done, given what he promised to do when he was elected, and the problems he's had with a uh, the Republican uh, the, the, the the Republicans in the Senate and the House uh, fighting him on issues. I think he's done an excellent job fulfilling the promises he made. The things he could get through that fulfilled his program that met the uh, the campaign planks that he had in his platform. I think he's done fine. Uh, he's clearly getting, he's looking right now at whether or not he's going to run. Uh, and he hasn't told us yet. I think all indications are that he is going to run. Getting ready to announce you're running for president with this dribbling of information coming out that you haven't uh, maintained control of these documents, your staff, and you're responsible ultimately for what your staff does. That hasn't been done uh, in a complete and thorough, efficient fashion. These documents have turned up. I think it looks bad. That's going to cost him points. There are people who will say, gee, you know, can we trust this guy? Craig has a question. So it does political harm. Craig? Yeah, I was just wondering. Now, Trump was asked, they, you were talking about how uh, archives said, hey, we're looking for these documents. Do you have them? Did anyone contact the Biden office when there were missing documents after he left office? And if they did not contact him, why not? Well, as I said, as far as we know, no one contacted him, that the Biden administration found these documents in their own uh, moving and packing and shuffling. Uh, these were found, and the archives were notified. So it may be that the documents were authorized to be kept by the, by the uh, former vice president, and in the process of moving, they're still authorized. He still maintains the status. He goes into a new status when he becomes president, and the documents either somehow fell off the register or they were still authorized to be kept by him, but they were not being kept in an authorized fashion, and, as and far we, as we can tell. And we don't have any idea specifically what the documents were with, with Vice President Biden. No, we do not know. We do not know. The, the documents we're concerned about with Mr. Trump, uh, and, and this is one when I, you asked the question earlier, is this the same sort of thing, just a difference in degree? And I said, no. Here's the reason. Apparently, Mr. Trump had some SCI documents. The reason why SCI, Special Compartmentalized Information, 
the reason why that is more sensitive than secret or top secret is that that gives indications either directly or indirectly on methods and means of gathering intelligence. So, for example, it might list the names of American agents who are undercover. It might list how, technically, certain information is derived so that our adversaries would know, oh, this is not only what they know, but this is how they get it, which means they can block our access to additional information in the future right. or find those agents who are undercover. We're in That's conversation. Really critical. We're in conversation with Dr. James Armstead. It is critical that we take this break, but not to worry. We will come back and continue our conversation and invite your phone calls in a little bit. I'm Dave Congleton on AM 920 FM 96.5 News Talk KVEC. Twenty-two minutes after the hour here on Hometown Radio, Dave Congleton back with uh, Dr. James Armstead, regular contributor and good friend of this broadcast, picking his brain on stories in the news. We talked about um, in the first segment the presidential documents a debate involving trump and biden uh, before we move on though do you, do you expect either biden or trump to be indicted over this well we don't know right now we don't know enough uh, it certainly appears with 300 documents uh, in the trump uh, in the trump hotel that there is a ch- and the the keeping of the documents, the affidavit that there weren't any more there, uh, and then we found out that there were oh we only had about half of them at that point. I would suspect there's going to be an indictment for uh, for conspiracy to obstruct justice. But did, now, how far yeah. up the line that goes, I don't know. I'm not sure that Mr. Trump would be indicted, but some of, some of his staff who signed that letter. So did Biden blow it with his situation? It, it looks like he's inefficient and incompetent. That's the way it looks. If you're going to take the worst view that his adversaries might take, that's what they're going to throw at him. Can we trust this guy to do that? I don't think it's that serious. Uh, I don't think it's that serious I mean, as, as a legal matter. So. But as a political matter, you know, the uh, optics are everything. It doesn't look good right now. I think that what this will do politically, it'll delay his announcement running for president. I think they'll push this back to the end of February, beginning of March, so that the public forgets this. And now that with the Republicans in control of the House, there's concern that they're just going to start having hearings and going after Biden on this issue in oh, particular. Oh, absolutely. There'll be hearings about this. They'll certainly want to do that. I think McCarthy's already said that, uh, I think if I can remember the quote, we're going to, this is serious, we're going to look at it very thoroughly. That that pretty much says he wants to have hearings. Hmm. And he is the speaker. I know we want to talk about Ukraine, but it just was announced within the last hour that the Prime Minister of New Zealand, who won global praise for her leadership during COVID, has announced her resignation ahead of national elections later this year. Should we care about what's happening in New Zealand? Well... It's. Uh, I, I'm not sure what her reasoning is, and this the the last minute things that led up to the decision. But this woman has been on top of gun control and uh, and violence in in New Zealand. It, it was already much lower than than what it is here, uh, but uh, she's worked on that. Uh, as you mentioned, COVID, uh, her st- standards on the environment have been uh, really world leading, and also she's worked 
very well with the native population, the Maori population, uh, which uh, New Zealand has had some problems with. She's dealt with those things very, very well. I would say world-class prime minister, uh, clearly someone that we'd want to think about in the future as UN Secretary General. So uh, she's somebody we should watch. Yes, we should be concerned. Uh, She's a future leader. Here's her statement. She's only 42. I've given my absolute all to being prime minister, but it's taken a lot out of me. You cannot and should not do the job unless you have a full tank, plus a bid in reserve for those unplanned and unexpected challenges that inevitably come along. She also has a young family. She has a young family. So, uh, and that, that's, that's a lot on someone in a job like that. In the 90 seconds before the news break, Professor, other than the tragedy of losing people, significance to the helicopter crash in Ukraine? The interior minister in Ukraine is not like our secretary of the interior, much more like the homeland security uh, director, very close to President uh, Zelensky. Uh, and not only did we lose the, the interior minister, we lost the deputy minister and his top three advisors. So Zelensky is going to have to look very carefully at his talent pool to replace these folks. And that's got to be done right away. They're in the middle of a war, and those people ran internal security. What, what caused the helicopter crash? We don't know yet. It could be a mechanical failure. The fog was very heavy this morning in Kiev. Kiev does not have great weather. I grew up in Chicago, and traveling around in Kiev in the wintertime in the mornings, I can tell you it reminded me of home. It's like Chicago. Cold, snowy, foggy, uh, windy. Uh, so it could be just be weather. Or it's possible that it could have been a, a strike, a, a missile strike. That is a remote possibility uh, at this point. So uh, we, it has to be investigated, and they're working on that. All right. Uh, we are in conversation with Professor James Armstead, and I promise when we come back, we'll get his take on the situation in Ukraine and what's likely to happen now with the Republican Congress. We'll welcome your phone calls on any of these topics. Always grateful for the professor's time. First, though, we check with California Headline News and ABC Radio News. Craig updates us with time saver traffic and weather together. Don't forget, singer-storyteller Wally Barnick at 605. Uh, Tom Wilmer, who was supposed to be with us yesterday, will be with us tomorrow. It's Hometown Radio for the Central Coast. I'm Dave Congleton. We'll be back. Travel writer Tom Wilbur joins us tomorrow on Friday. It's Cal Poly professor Sarah Bridger who talks about Cal Poly's upcoming transformation from the quarter system to the semester system. She has a few thoughts about that. I bet you do, too. It's hometown radio for the Central Coast. It is the Dave Congleton Show. We are continuing our conversation with Dr. James Armstead. We start off talking a little bit about the presidential documents controversy, the one involving Trump, the one involving Biden. We mentioned the fact that the prime minister of New Zealand has uh, abruptly resigned, and also we started talking about Ukraine. Jim, as we're back with you on the Stolberg-Tatum text line, text number one, Rudy Giuliani has a video on YouTube about Trump versus Biden documents. Has your guest seen it? 
I, I have um, I've I've seen it. I've seen part of it, and I'm not impressed. I think we're getting propaganda. Uh, it's uh, it, it's good lawyer talk, uh, taking his client's side, but it doesn't give us any real information. Eight zero five five four three eight eight to three zero or eight hundred five four nine five eight three two. If you want to join in the conversation on any of these topics or ask Professor Armstead any question about foreign policy, I bet he would have an answer. Meanwhile, according to Politico.com, Jim, the U.S. is gearing up to announce a major new weapons package for Ukraine on Friday as top military leaders from around the world gather in Germany. My first question to you is, how do you think that's likely to play in the Republican Congress? Well, I don't think the Republicans are going to be particularly supportive. We unfortunately have devolved to the situation where national security, we used to say the defense of the country, national security arguments ended at the water's edge. I don't think that's true anymore. I think that right up until somebody declares war on us or attacks us at the water's edge, that Republicans and Democrats are going to be at each other's throats about what directions we're taking, how much is being spent, uh, which uh, corporations are making money and selling us things. It, and it's too bad. It's, uh, it doesn't militate well for our future. Well, but isn't there a similar debate taking place in Germany? Well, the, the, the Germans, uh, interestingly enough, of course, uh, Boris Pistorius was po- appointed the defense minister yesterday. He replaced a woman who had been there uh, a little over a year, a uh, year and a half or so, who is not a real hawk, a real defense expert. Uh, she was a finance person, She had, as is Pistorius, by the way, uh, and as is Olaf Scholz. Uh, he was in Angela Merkel's financial uh, treasury. Money group and help put together the oil deal. So she, along with the foreign, for, former uh, defense minister, along with the uh, uh, this group that's in power now in the, in the Schultz administration, are people who've been focused on money. They've been focused on doing business with the Russians on oil, on German production. That's why they're there. That's why they're they're in power. It's the uh, the old adage. It's the economy, stupid. Well, that's where the Germans were. Their economy was. Doing well, and they want people in there who could manage it. Now, she wasn't particularly focused on expanding what the military was doing. The Germans took the 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 we would call it a residual effect, the peace dividend, if you will, of the wall coming down, of the Soviet Union falling. We're going to spend less on defense. We don't have to worry about it. And I think she represented, because she's a social Democrat, she represented that point of view. That's where her party was coming from. And the German people generally have not gone knee-deep into this war. Uh, they some of the uh, the human rights aspects, the war crimes charges have really affected and changed some of the things. But she was the person who made the donation. It was her idea, and she was in charge of sending helmets when Ukraine was invaded. That was where she was coming from, her party, and where I think the German nation generally uh, wanted to avoid any hostilities, if at all possible. Hmm. Remembering the history of Germany, that, you know, Germany's been to that part of the world before. You know, there was an invasion in, 19, uh, in 1941, yeah, yeah. in June. Well, and there's some guilt about that. Hmm. So there's talk of Germany sending tanks. There's pressure on Germany to send tanks. There's also pressure 
pressure on the U.S., but according to this article, we are not likely to send tanks to Ukraine. Well, I don't think at this point we're ready to uh, to send main battle tanks to Germany. But we've got two nations who have each volunteered the Leopard 2, which is the latest German tank. And it's about 14, 15 or so with each. So 30, roughly 30 tanks, that's, that's a battalion in our, in our view, a squadron of armor. So that's a beginning. That's certainly a beginning. But Ukraine is going to need main battle tanks because they are going to be the nation in the attack. Where they are going, Zaporozhye, Kershan, the Russian army has been there for a while now. They've been there for, for a number of months. They're dug in. So we, th- we use the ratio of three to one if you are attacking a built-up defense. You're going after a place that's that's been allowed to put together uh, the the necessary requirements for defense, a trench line, uh, fortifying roads, fortifying railroads, building bunkers, that sort of thing. Three to one, usually in manpower, but that's really combat power. Now, the spearhead of that, to make that work well, you are going to need armor and armor-defeating forces. So the Bradley fighting vehicles, we've authorized 50 of those going forward. And I think we're going to see more Leopards, not only from the the allies uh, who have bought those from Germany, but the problem this week has been, if you buy Leopards from Germany, as in Poland is authorized 14 of them to be sent, if you do that, you have to get permission because you bought them from Germany. That's part of the bilateral arrangement when they sell those weapons. All right, so Germany has been reluctant to authorize that. I think we're going to see a change right. at the end of the week. The CNBC is reporting uh, Russian President Putin could be ready to announce another mobilization round as Russia looks to bolster its armed forces in Ukraine, according to multiple analysts. Quote, Putin may announce a second mobilization wave to expand his army in the coming days, possibly as early as January 18th. This is according to the Institute for the Study of War. Well, I think what we're seeing is that the last mobilization uh, two months ago was for 300,000. Now, that's what we were told, 300,000, but the actual documents were open. So more could be mobilized if, of course, he can find people who are, uh, who are going to respond to the conscription orders. 150,000 of these newly mobilized people have already been put, sent to Ukraine. The other 150,000 or thereabouts have been sent into training. So they would arrive in better condition, uh, trained, focused toward what they need to do in the war, given new equipment, that sort of thing. That first 150,000 essentially were cannon fodder. They were going into those units that had been, uh, that had been decimated and needed to have uh, replacements put in to fill them out. Uh, if he is going to keep this land corridor from uh, Donetsk, uh, Lugansk, uh, Zaporozhye and Kershaw, if he's going to keep that land corridor 
on the eastern edge of, of, of Ukraine, going down the Crimea, he's going to need a good deal more troops. Mm. And, of course, the new change in generals is very important, that the, the man who is now running things in, the, in Ukraine for the Russians is the chief of staff of the army. So he is an overall, what we would call a unified and joint commander. He commands Army, Navy, and Air Force. And, of course, coming out of the general staff, coming out of the, uh, the Kremlin, uh, he knows what needs to be done jointly across all of these services to run an effective campaign. So we're looking at a, an increase in intensity that's coming soon. So given all that, how is Ukraine holding up in its defense? I think with what they have, they're doing well. The Russians came in with 209,000 troops. The size of the entire Ukrainian army, with their reserves mobilized, was roughly 200,000. So we were fighting a one-on-one, and of course they were in the defense. Now, although and they, they they defended their capital very well, uh, they, they were dug in for that, and they did very well on the maneuver side, going up and down the road to Belarus. Uh, knocking out those convoys that were supporting the relief of the paratroopers that had landed at the uh, the three airfields around uh, Kiev. Now, the war moved after three months and became a more mobile war, Donetsk and Lugansk, on the eastern edge of the country, where the Russians already had some troops in the country assisting the rebels that had been fighting since 2014. So that maneuver we saw and the Ukrainians held up well with, with that. They were holding their own. Then, of course, the Russians moved south with uh, uh, large-scale forces into uh, Zaporozhye, Kershaw, going toward Crimea. So the idea behind this is this: we want this land bridge. We want to have 100 miles or so from the Sea of Azov coming into Ukraine, hold that territory, and be able to resupply whatever needs to be done in Crimea and support their naval operations, of course, in Crimea. So it's not just holding it as land itself. Right. That caused the Ukrainians in the last six months to have a serious war of maneuver. That looked much more like World War II. Now, they took land back from the Russians out of their initial gains, pushed them back. Now they're dug in, going into trenches, winter warfare. It's beginning to look a little more like World War I. Now, how do we break out of that? Because long term, Ukraine can't win that kind of war. They need a fast, mobile war using armor to break the Russian forces up so they cannot have a continuous hold on that land bridge. Right. For that, they need more tanks. That's what we, I think we're going to see that, that issue addressed on Friday. And we need a break. We got uh, Professor James Harmstead back on this broadcast covering the globe as he always does. We'll come back for a final segment on AM 920, FM 96.5, News Talk, KVEC. All right, let's take some phone calls for Professor Armstead, 805-543-8830, 800-549-5832. Call in, engage in the conversation. Professor Armstead will be concise in his responses. As we start with Alan in San Luis. Hey, Alan. Hey, Dave. Hey, doctor. Hey. The question Hi, is about the, hey, the, the Patriot missile battery or batteries. I saw in the news where they were the Ukrainians were being trained. When... 
do they anticipate actually having something installed, and is it just one battery? Uh, we we have one battery already there, ah. and additional people are being uh, are being trained for that. You know, you need them twenty four seven. Of course, there is a second battery that's going to be supplied by the uh, by the Germans. So that's already been approved. Now, when that's going to get there, I don't know. But that's supposedly coming very soon. Alan? Now, I know these are good against, what is it, ballistic tar- missile targets and aircraft, And, and airplanes. Right. That's correct. The new boasted hypersonic cruise missiles, have they been tested in any, against that technology? Well, th- that's not what they're designed that's not what they're designed to stop. We have other kinds of systems that are designed for that. Now, understand all ballistic missiles other than cruise missiles, all of them are hypersonic. I was going to make you know, that I, point. I see this, yeah. this term thrown around in the, in the news, but if it's a ballistic missile, it's hypersonic. It goes right. faster than sound, several times faster than the speed Elite of sound. Five, yeah. That's why I said hypersonic cruise, to make that distinction. Right. All right. Thank you. All right, Alan, thank you. 805-543-8830. 800-549-5832. Scott's in San Luis. Hey, Scott. Hello, Dave. Hello, Dr. Armstead. Hey, Scott. Hi, Scott. Hey, um, happy New Year. You know, uh, happy New Year, sir. Absolutely. I'm glad you're on the air. Um, so, you know, I heard uh, former Pres- um, uh, Prime Minister Tony Blair um, a few weeks ago, and he made a comment. A few, he made a comment stating that the U.S. and Britain uh, failed to include Russia on the international table, and he said we, meaning U.S. and Britain, failed to work with Putin. And this is what Putin has said for quite some time. And Putin has responded to that that he wants to be respected, and he's felt like they've never been respected on the on the international table when it comes to security concerns, which is the whole thing. We, we spoke about this before, about NATO on their doorstep. Right. But, you know, you, you, until we have an agreement on security, um, there, there's never going to be a stop to the war. But, I mean, uh, other than, you know, what well, they're over there for now as far as denazifying, but really it's a security guarantee. So hold that thought, Scott. Let's get a response from the professor. Jim? Well, I, I'm not sure exactly what uh, what what the question is here, but what I'm gathering from the, uh, the, the this recitation is the our, our continuing debate that Russia has a right to do in its backyard what it wants to do. Sort of in the Cold War, uh, this was called the uh, the Sonnenfeld Doctrine uh, during the Cold War. So the Russians had a sphere of influence, which was everything in the Warsaw Pact, and we had a sphere of influence, everything that was in NATO. That was respected, and that kept the peace, and there's some truth to that. So for 50 years or so, that, that really did, that kept the peace. Now, I would call it a balance of terror, not a balance of power, uh, as Professor Mearsheim and some other writers in the area uh, have done over the last few years. But given that, there is a new strategic 
paradigm. And that is nations that came out from under the Warsaw Pact, the nations that were part, like Ukraine, part of, and, and uh, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, the part of the old Soviet Union, as they came out from under the, uh, the auspices of the Soviet Union when it fell, that these nations are free and independent states, have a right to their political security, have a right to their their territorial integrity, and have a right under the collective defense to look at their own organizations and how they want to be allied with other nations. And Russia doesn't have a right to interfere with that. It's very simple. Scott? Okay, well, I'll say two things on that. Um, One, as long as they're not lobbied to join, if if they're going to join, they join with their own with their own will not you don't lobby countries to hey you know here's the benefits please join like a like a salesman but on the war front what i'm here on the numbers I, I don't really agree with the numbers you mentioned but from what i've heard dr armstead the ukrainians are dying from eight to one and uh, where the russians are dying from one to eight the numbers ukrainians have lost from what i've heard on the news is about four hundred and fifty thousand ukrainians what, um, what are you hearing, yeah, Jim? Civilians and yeah. uh, civilians and uh, that would be twice the size Ukrainian of their soldiers. complete army. So that means they've lost their yeah. army twice. Well, I mean, uh, no, no, but that, I'm saying uh, that, that makes no sense. Got Ukrainian soldiers, and then a total, of, and then the rest would be civilians. Yeah, they're being, the including the civilians, Jim. So, so, oh, including you know, the civilians. Well, it, it, we're certainly not seeing numbers that are being reported in the news or from any official sources that are like that. And he, here's what we have to look at. When you are attacking, you are going to lose more people than the defender where it's built up. So if we consider that, that 80 miles coming out of Belarus going toward Kiev, the Russians lost a lot of people in that attack. Their best airborne unit out of the first army and the first division, the first airborne division out of the first guards army, and that's about 80,000 strong, but the, and the brigade about 4,000. The airborne brigade was completely surrounded on three airports that are in and around where they landed. They took two of those three airports and they held them waiting for the first guards army coming down the road from Belarus to relieve them so they could move into Kiev. They were completely surrounded and destroyed. So that's 4,000 right there wiped out. The column of 80,000 coming down the road, that would stop. You've seen the pictures from space. You've seen the pictures that were taken by drones. uh, Their convoys were stopped. Their tanks were destroyed. We think that about 500 tanks were lost just in that one battle. All right, I stop it here. Scott, uh, thanks very much for calling in. Let me address these text messages that are coming in on the Stolberg-Tatum line. I got about two minutes left, Professor. Number one, does Dr. Armstead know if the Ukrainians are attacking sites inside of Russia? Attacking sites? Are, are we attacking Russia? Is Ukraine attacking Russia? In Russia. Oh, inside of Russia. There yes. have been several attacks inside of Russia, yes. There have been several missile attacks inside of Russia. All right. Uh, an air base, one air base was hit twice, and another air, uh, another installation, a supply installation, was hit a couple of weeks ago. A 60-second. So there have been three attacks we're aware of. A 60-second answer for the final text on the Stolberg-Tatum line. Listener is asking what kind of reforms are needed for both presidential and vice presidential papers. 
Great question. The number of secure documents, classified documents, since 9-11 has gone up tenfold. The number of secured people with security clearances have gone up. The number of people managing those has not gone up commensurate with the workload that's there. If we're going to keep up with all of these documents and all of the, uh, the people with security clearances, we're going to need to put more assets into uh, our intelligence and the security. Uh, the the information board, the secure information board. Has this story so more ever, money's got to go into it? More ha, people. Has this ever come up with anybody other than Trump and Biden? Have we found classified documents with other oh, presidents? Every time you have a large contract and you have a contractor that finishes a job, and you know that that weapon system is delivered or whatever, and they move on, they've got classified documents on their own premises. They've got to get them back, and they've been using them. And you know the register may you may slip a document here or there. So yeah, this happens. And this is not unheard. Of in the intelligence community. All right, uh, Professor Armstead, we always appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. All right, let's go to ABC Radio News, find out what's happening out there. Craig has time saver traffic and weather together, and then you will be entertained by singer storyteller Wally Barnick. We're live, we're local. This is Hometown Radio. The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kbec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911.